Bienvenido, el negro de los namas Kevin de Story Story Noche Night, donde vas a encontrar unas historias verdaderas del tema que está recordado en el stage, sin notas. Es el Slamador. Él está, tiene un cuento que va a decir y en, en veces van a tener el season finale on a fire. Recordado at Visual Arts Collective in Jardin City, Idaho, August 29, 2017. Es un slam del fuero fuero del eh, mentidor pantalones en fuego. Es algo súper random, donde tenemos los nombres de gente que ni siquiera pueden decir un cuento, pero por cinco minutos van a decir un cuento. Y de esa manera, cuando vienes aquí, es algo que quieres escuchar en el Ciudad del Jardín. David Meyer. You have five minutes to tell your true story on the theme. I have a fire story. My kids fired their perfect parent. This happened about 10 years ago. Imagine yourself, 6.40 in the morning. My wife and I are going through the, the getting ready for school and work routine. Maybe you have that. And we've got the backpacks by the front door. The... The lunches are all organized, the permission slips signed and ready to go. And then we've got food, and it's beautiful food because we're good parents. <laughs> we've got oatmeal, and eggs, and a smoothie. This is not just any food. The, the oatmeal has blueberry eyes and a little blueberry smile, and then of course the high protein almonds on top for hair, it's beautiful. And same with the, the eggs. Well, with the eggs, we have the same face motif, but the, uh, the eyes and the smile, those are sliced tomatoes. And then broccoli, steamed just right as, as the hair. Huh? And this is how it rolls in our house, right? It's really high-quality stuff, good parenting. 7.30 sharp, they're out the door. We've got to be on time for work and school. That gives me a few minutes to clean up the kitchen, and so I take care of the pans and the cutting board and set it aside grab a cup of coffee, head downstairs. And uh, 30 minutes later, I need a refill on the coffee. I come around the corner and it's thick gray smoke. I can't make out the light switches. Something's up. I bound up the stairs three at a time. The first thing that hits me is, you know that really acrid smell of burning plastic? You know it's toxic and nasty. That's what gets me. So the rest of the story, I'm holding my breath. Just keep that in mind. Uh, I'm holding my breath, and over on the stove is this bright orange flame coming out. Then black smoke is going up the ceiling. The ceiling's starting to turn black. I can feel the heat coming off the wooden cabinets on either side. I'm thinking, I've got seconds before it all goes. So the perfect dad here had left the burner on, and then I set the plastic, blue plastic cutting board on top of it, and it had melted, and so I had like two inches of hot, bubbling, burning plastic coming out. And so it's an adrenaline moment, right? I'm there, and, and uh, suddenly I'm really excited because I've, I've always wanted to be Matt and be a firefighter. <laughs> And I know there's a fire extinguisher in the, in the under-sink cabinet. So now I'm, I'm, actually, I'm a little gleeful. Because for years I've been reading the instructions, you know, how to use them. And I know, and I know it's there, and it's a good one. So 
okay. And, and so go in there, open the cabinet, and instead of grabbing that fire extinguisher where I imagined it right in front, there's like five years of grocery bags just jammed in there. And, and so now it's like, damn, you're going through here. And I remember this, it's funny, when there's a big emergency situation, you remember everything. I remember very clearly, I'm thinking, this is, just, this is fucking bullshit. I can use that. This is fucking bullshit. After I get this fire out, I'm gonna organize this, because it's, I'm, shit. So, out come all the bags. There it is, the very back, and pull it out, and now it's like, ah, the moment I get to pull that pin, boom, aim at the base, I know. <laughs> and it's a letdown, because I'm expecting like a fight the fire, and in four seconds, boom, out. It's completely out. <laughs> Nevertheless, I, I still emptied it on there. I'm gonna make sure it could come back, it could come back. So, uh, it, yeah, it was out. And then I'm thinking, if kids are gonna be home. You know, I've got like six hours, gonna be home from school, and we have to get dinner ready and, you know, move on with our life, and da-da-da. Um, so there's a bucket there from under the sink. I don't know why I was there, but it, plastic bucket. I'm like, I'll just start to, you know, take care of this and pick up what's left of the cutting board and I set it in the bucket and that hot edge hits it, it right through like a razor. It was still so hot. Then it dawns on me, you know, maybe dealing with the bubbling hot plastic right now, probably not a good idea. Maybe head outside, start to breathe again. It's, the smoke is all around. So I head outside, I sit down and that's when it hits me, just the adrenaline and fear and I'm shaking and trying to understand what the hell happened. How did this kitchen fire start? And it was the, it was that drive to perfection. It was the beautiful food, and it was the fast routine, and out on time, and you know, productive American. And I'm thinking, and then I tried to clean up, which is insane. It, like my kids are gonna come home and say, the kitchen's a mess, Dad. What, you know, we leave you for five, six hours and what? You know, and where's dinner, too? They're not. They're not going to say that. So that was the day where the perfect parent melted away. I was like that cutting board. I melted away. I became something a little more flowy, a little more flexible. And I think they like it better. And so, yeah, it was good. And now if you come over to my house, the fire extinguisher is in the front right. <laughs> but there's still like 10 years of grocery bags, and that's fine, I just leave them, yeah, so. Amy Ferris, Amy, are you ready for this? You ready for this magic? So I'm also a firefighter. <laughs> or I was um, in college my 18, 19, 20-year-old, 100-pound frame decided to join the BLM um, and fight wildland fire. Um, uh, my story is from New Mexico, actually. I was also on a Helitech crew. Um, did not plan on doing this tonight, so just gonna say that right now. 
trying to work that out right now. Actually having my name called, so kind of fucked. Um, so my fire story is from a New Mexico fire. And I was the 20-year-old kid who wasn't quite prepared to Uh, to go out and I had some fire experience. We did have one of those nights where I dug line an entire night, found my own mental strength. Um, it was the most excruciating thing I've ever done. But I was 20 and I still felt like I was invincible. Um, having just like good time, down in New Mexico on a helitech crew. Wasn't prepared, got called out um, into the mountains of New Mexico. And I went out without any food in my pack and without one of the cool little shelters that everyone else had that they could use to keep warm that night. So I cuddled around the fire line that night to stay warm. Most, the longest night of my life, I freeze to death, and I did freeze to death on that fire. Huddled close to the fire line um, to wake up. Well, I probably got about an hour of sleep that night and woke up to what we call stump fuckers in the business. They are these amazing little bugs that can detect smoke in the air, like they're little beetles. So they're about this big, and they have an amazing talent to detect smoke in the air up to a mile away. And when they find, or when they detect the smoke, they all swarm, because they feed on the burning uh, wood. And I woke up in the 30 minutes to an hour of sleep that I got that night to about 100 stump fuckers crawling all over me. <clears throat> in the rocks of New Mexico. So, that is my fire, fire story. Tanya Madonna. Hi. So, um, despite the hundreds of votive candles that my long-suffering Catholic mother has lit, praying for my redemption, <laughs> I have very little fire in my life. However, I am a member of a large club of other shameless women, um, international I believe. Um, we like to call ourselves mothers who like to tell strangers stories about their children. <laughs> so I do have a very fiery story to tell about my oldest son, whose name I will not mention because he would kill me. Um, being raised by that aforementioned, long-suffering Catholic mother, I decided to do some things differently with my kids. And one of those things was I decided to have a little bit of a different approach to sex when raising my children. And I kind of watched everybody else, let everybody else make some mistakes, including my own parents and their approach. And what I decided when it came, all came down to it is I was going to talk to my kids, and I did which is the last thing that teenage boys want to talk to their mothers about, believe me. But I basically came down to like the two take-home messages, because I figured they're teenage boys. They can hardly remember anything, so just keep it simple. 
So my two messages were, as I'm sure you can imagine, always, always, always use a condom. And number two, I want you to make sure that you have enthusiastic consent. And <laughs> thank you. By enthusiastic, obviously, we talked about how that doesn't mean make sure that you say, you know, make sure that you push and push and push until no becomes a yes. So I wanted to make sure that my sons understood consent, and I think that that's an important message. So thank you. So my story starts, am I ready? <laughs> my story starts um, on a, what I thought was a quiet afternoon after school. And my son, Cole, had his girlfriend over. He was 15, and Cole's the rather, oh my god, I just mentioned his name. <laughs> Sorry, Cole. All right. I will use a pseudonym when I sign that waiver, and maybe that'll protect me. Anyway, my poor son. So th they're downstairs watching a movie, playing video games, whatever it is that they do, and I'm like, okay, I need like a 20-minute nap. So. I go take my 20-minute nap, and then I go downstairs, and it's kind of quiet, and the TV's off, and I'm looking for my son, who shall remain nameless from now on. <laughs> and I just walk into his bedroom, and lo and behold, I saw some very fiery activity <laughs> that I hope I never have to see again. And I kind of shakingly closed the door and stepped back and <laughs> took a couple deep breaths because despite my somewhat cool mom stance on sex, I still was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> but I would have you all know that Cole, sorry, my son, <laughs> I just can't do this. My son did, I didn't check closely, obviously I was out of there as quickly as I could be. But there was definitely some enthusiastic consent going on because that 15-year-old girl was riding my son like a boss and it was all I could do. It was all I could do to not be like, oh my God, are you okay? So even though I kind of vowed to be nothing like my Catholic mother, I do now light votive candles. And I pray fervently that I never have to see that side again. It looks like Brendan McCarthy is the McCarthy era. You are coming up. So my story starts out with uh, two of my best friends a couple years ago. We decided we were hanging out one Friday afternoon. And we go, let's go camping. We're like, OK, let's do this. So we <laughs> had $50. We were poor as hell back then. And we filled up the gas tank, bought a couple cans of chili, and a couple bottles of alcohol and beer. And, you know, of course, essentials for camping, right? And so we decided we're going to go. We knew where we were going to go. And we get in my buddy's his truck. It's a 73 old Ford F-250. And we get in, and we're heading down I-84. And all of a sudden, the tire blows out. And... We pull over to the shoulder and that, and we're sitting there, and one of my good buddies, I have to say, these two buddies of mine I've known since like junior high, so they're kind of like brothers to me, but one of them, I swear I could kill every time that we go on a camping trip or something, 
The man doesn't carry a screwdriver to his name when we go out. So here we are on the side of the road, and I say, okay, let's get the tire, the spare tire out. And the first buddy, Andrew, goes, well, wouldn't it be funny if I didn't have a tire? <laughs> and I said, no, it wouldn't. And Jordan starts laughing, and I'm like, what's so funny? And he goes, that's what you think. He doesn't have a fucking tire. <laughs> so we had to call somebody to bring out some tires. And we stayed out on I-84 on the shoulder for about three hours waiting for his dad to bring us spare tires. Mind you, it was about 98 degrees that day, and it was 6 p.m. when we decided to go, so it was in the dead of heat. And we only had alcohol and chili <laughs> and no water. <laughs> So, luckily we decided not to, you know, dig into our provisions or anything like that, but, uh, so his dad finally shows up with a tire, and I thought it was really weird, but his dad shows up with two spare tires, and so we changed out one spare tire, and I kind of didn't think about it, but I realize now that, thank God, he brought in a spare tire, which we can get to later, but anyway, so we're driving, we get going to our camping spot, we didn't get in until like 10 p.m., and it is pitch black. Now... You've never been camping if you haven't set up a campsite by the headlights of your truck. <laughs> and I mean, it was just, you know, we knew that we were gonna be late, but we just said we're gonna deal with it. So we set up camp, put up the tents and everything like that. And Andrew and Jordan tell me, they're like, hey, go get firewood. I was like, okay, fine. So I take the truck and I drive off and I'm probably gone for 20 minutes and I'm kind of like across the river from where they are. And I see like this orange like glow across the river. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And I went, oh shit. I got in the truck and I go back to the campsite and I kid you not, it looked like something out of Lord of the Flies. Here is Jordan and Andrew dancing around the campfire and it's a bonfire like 10 feet up in the air and it's just hooting and hollering and everything like that. And I was just like, okay, either they are just suffering from heat exhaustion or they're really drunk right now. <laughs> and so we set up the camp and everything and we're hanging out and I find out that yes, they are drunk, super, super drunk. <laughs> My buddy Andrew decided to drink a whole bottle of 151 rum by himself <laughs> uh, with cranberry juice, of course. <laughs> And my buddy Jordan can't really drink, but he had a few beers, and they were just hooting and hollering and having a great time. And I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna enjoy this. I'm gonna have a beer with them. So I opened up the cooler, and I looked down in the cooler, and there was one beer left. <laughs> with the ring, and a pair of scissors. Not like a real pair of scissors, but like safety pair of scissors, and a note on it and says, here you go, asshole, have a beer. Now, I have to kind of mention why this happened or what was about the story with the pair of scissors is I want to be an environmental lawyer, and so my buddies give me guff all the time about, you know, save the forest and all this and everything like that. So they gave me the scissors basically to cut the rings off the beer and enjoy the one beer. I thought that was kind of an asshole move. And so we're hanging out and everything, and I really just started worrying because Andrew was really, really drunk. That's what happens after you drink a whole bottle of 151. And I was kind of thinking that maybe we actually need to go home because he's getting sick to the point now where maybe he's got a little alcohol poisoning. And we decided to kind of wait and everything. And so I kind of take care of Andrew through the whole night and everything like that. And it was like 4 o'clock in the morning before they went back to bed. 
And so I finally got to go to sleep and hang out, you know, go to sleep, and they are all asleep and everyone's fine. So they wake up really, really early in the morning and they take off. Well, they decided to pull another prank, except this is where my story of on fire comes. I'm sleeping in my sleeping bag and it is, like I said, in the dead of heat and I'm literally just like down in my skivvies, just sleeping on top of my sleeping bag. And Andrew and Jordan decided to come into the campsite and they're screaming, Brandon, Brandon, the camp's on fire, the camp's on fire. And I'm half asleep and I wake up and I'm running out the tent and everything like that. And mind you, I've only got my skivvies on. I'm looking for my clothes. Well, they decide to take my clothes. And so I can't find them. I put my boots on. And if anyone's seen, you know, National Lamp of Christmas Vacation, I swear I look like Uncle Eddie coming out of the camp. I was just in boots, long socks, and just like, kind of like, what the hell's going on? They are rolling and rolling and rolling, laughing their asses off because there is no fire. They thought that they would just screw with me and have a good time about it. And so we had good laughs about it and everything like that. And that's kind of my story of uh, on fire. So. And by the, by the way, on the way back, I had the last laugh, though, because Andrew blew out another tire. So. <laughs> Babe's story. Hello there. This is quite strange for me. I'm not prepared for this at all, which is a stretch. So anyway, here it goes. My story of fire. My earliest memory of being in a state of, of, of fear and, and awe around fire. Well, I don't know if it's the earliest one, but it's, it's at my parents' house. I must have been about seven, eight years old in Eagle, Idaho. And I was playing with a lighter in the basement watching the 22-inch color TV video game, and there was a recliner lounger chair, and I decided it's a good idea to light the fire underneath this chair. And so I did that about 15 or 20 times and, and, and kept sort of getting it closer and closer and closer to the material underneath this chair. And sure enough, after you know the 26th or 27th time of lighting this lighter under the chair, the fucking thing caught on fire. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sort of like our, our, our previous speaker, although not nearly as a, a death-defying situation because it was just a shitty, you know, Sears Roebuck chair from 1970 that was on fire, uh, I, I panicked and, and started hitting it with my hand and, and luckily the fire went out and my heart skipped a few beats, and I never spoke a word of it to nearly anyone for probably 15 or 20 years. Uh, and I don't think I've ever told my parents about this, so they're, luckily they're not in the audience, but I almost burned our fucking house down. Um, so, fire. Uh, other things about fire. Fire is, is you know, so primal. I mean, fire goes back to the very, very beginning. Mankind and fire. So dramatic. Mythopoetic fire. But fire is, a, recently I've had a fire in my belly. A few weeks ago, I was fired from my job, I must say. Uh, and, you know, I, I had a number of friends congratulate me. My one friend said, did, did you manifest getting fired from your job? You're so good at manifesting things. Did you manifest it? Yeah, I sort of fucking manifested getting fired from my job. Because my boss at the time said, you know, if you don't show up at 8 o'clock in the morning and stay till 5 or show up at 9 and stay till 6, that you, you're not going to work here anymore. 
And I didn't take him very seriously because it's a stupid fucking rule. And it's, you know, I was told I had flex time and, and I didn't. So anyway, I, um, I got fired from my job. So that's the theme of fire. And that was, uh, so now I'm sort of in the fire, if you will, running out of money and I have kids to support and things to do and yada, yada. But I'm, you know, mostly not scared because I just sort of living on the edge is, is a good way to stay alive. I mean, you, you never forget uh, when you're in a state of terror that you're in that moment. Like, you don't worry about the past, you know? There's a truck coming up behind you and smashing into you at 75 miles an hour. You're not thinking about your mortgage or, you know, whether you can, uh, you know, whether you can go to the gym later this afternoon and do your, your squats to make your ass look hot or whatever. You're not thinking about those things. So living on the edge has been, to say, very thrilling. And anyway, uh, one of the things, I, when I was exiting the job, I, I had a very frank conversation with the HR director. I said, what, what, what do you have to say? Uh, you know, just give me your unabashed opinion. And she's like, well, um, and I won't say my name, uh, but she's, well, name here. It seems to me, it seems to me you have a problem with authority. Yes, and, and that you should probably, you'd be better off working for yourself. And so uh, I'm working on doing that now, but ultimately I, I realized it's like, no, it's not that I have a problem with authority, it's that I have a problem with dumbass authority. You know, it's like, I mean, look at the guy that is in office now, not to get into politics too much, but we elected this motherfucker, and, and, and I try not to think about it too much because then I get fired up. And so, you know, I'm trying to my best in this point of my life to be fired up about things that are worth being fired up about. You know what I mean? So, some things that I'm fired up about, I got fired, I'm fired up about that. Uh, I'm fired up. I went to the Eclipse uh, last, last week. I went to the Eclipse Festival. If you ever heard about this festival, it was like, it's supposed to be 35,000 people, and it was 72 motherfucking thousand people. Like, 72,000 people crammed in this big field, and, 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 and it was amazing. Like, there was no fatalities. There was a few disasters, a few fires, uh, uh, but nothing big. And, and it really inspired me in a way because it, it, it reminded me that we have to keep the fire in our bellies. Uh, any of you familiar Robert Bly, the, the men's circle guy, you know, naked drumming, blah, 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 blah. Men's circle from the 80s is a, a very admirable man, but he, he always talked about maintaining the fire in your belly. So I've been trying to do my best to keep the fire going in my belly to keep myself, you know, motivated enough to, to get out of bed every morning and to feed my kids and to, you know, make it to the next day. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes that's really hard. So fire... Is, is the way that I like to uh, reflect on things. So there was, we had a fire eater up on stage earlier who sticks hot things in her mouth for fun. I mean, I actually have a good friend who does the same. Brittany Raindancing Merchild is her name. Uh, uh, her, not her real name, but that's her Facebook name. And she is a fire swallower. And I've seen, you know, with this, the sweetest smile on her face as she takes this thing and sticks the fire into her mouth. And, and has burned the fuck out of her lips a few times. I mean, it's, it's like, how do you go on smiling like that with your lips that have these things? She's like, well, it's just, you know, it's part of the act. So anyway, um, I encourage you all to, to make sure that you don't light lighters underneath chairs, especially 1970 Sears Roebuck shitty chairs. They're sort of that off color, horrible, you know, brown tan shit that they had in the 70s. Don't, don't do that, uh, but do. Do maintain the fire in your bellies.
Thanks for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Bob Haycock, and me, Jody Eichelberger. Thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the on-fire show sponsor, Acme Bake Shop. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from Mahavia. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter at Story Story Night.